Hey everyone, welcome to Expansion Cast. Expansion Cast is a magical podcast I created so people could find simple or unconventional solutions to expand their personal awareness and experience. This podcast is dedicated towards revealing people's divine truth and how that divine truth works its way out into the world one by one, helping liberate each of us on our personal path to freedom. If you love this podcast, please give us a rating and share. Heidi, welcome to Expansion Cast. <laughs> Thanks, Roger. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So uh, what's happening for you these days? Like, what's what's the big thing that's uh, sweeping your world? Well, I feel like I'm circling back to the basics in a way. Because uh, you know that quote? I think it might have been Ram Das. He says, if you think you're enlightened, spend a weekend with your family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so after all of my retreats and travelings, I find myself spending a month with my family and living in my family home, which I haven't done since I was 16 years old. And uh, it's quite uh, a learning. It feels like such an edge for me because I'm quite different from my family. And what I've chosen as a life path is pretty much diametrically opposed to their belief system. And so it's been this exercise of maintaining as much of me as I can, being as much me as I can, while still preserving the us that's possible. And uh, and it's been challenging. And also there's this grounding that I feel coming out of it. Like I feel like there's something, this connection to my lineage, to my roots. And it feels like it's going to to filter out into other parts of my life. I think there's something really beautiful happening here. But let me tell you, when it started, I was not up for the challenge. I thought this was a terrible idea. And and for whatever reason it's ended up that I, I stayed with them. And it's been lots of learnings for me. So, like, how many years has it been? Since I was 16? Yeah. <laughs> well, we have to do some quick math here. I'm 36 now, so I guess it's been 20 years. Wow. Yeah, that is quite a shift then. Yeah, yeah. Huh. You know, I was just, in my book I'm writing, I was just writing a little bit about uh, how I did a breath workshop. And in that breath workshop, suddenly there was, like, this male genitalia energy beside me floating as you know the energy of male genitalia is quite a bit different than female there's the obvious difference Mm -hmm. and i was like i was in this moment of this seems this feels so weird is this like is this like a part of me that's gay that i don't know you know all these stories like questions coming up and um i was like no these are just stories in my mind so i was like uh, just relax into it so it was interesting how it when as soon as I relaxed into it through curiosity and awareness, what happened was all of a sudden I started opening up all these places inside of me where I had denied my masculine self. Mm-hmm. And I started to become aware of all the things I was doing in my life to deny my truth. And in that denial, I found I wasn't able to be. You know, I really wasn't authentic in 
you know, when I said I love you to somebody, because honestly, I couldn't be honest with myself, but by denying my wholeness. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's a powerful initiation right there. Yeah. You know, I feel there might be some relationship between that and what you're experiencing now. I don't know. I think so too, Roger, because one of the things that I've been integrating is around sexuality. I come from a very fundamentalist Christian background where I was taught that any sexuality outside of marriage and almost outside of procreation within marriage was away from God in the opposite direction of God. And any type of self-pleasuring or masturbation is away from God. And so as a, as a Tantra teacher, being in this space and so many of my friends are pleasure coaches and <laughs> my whole world is oriented towards shedding the conditionings and, and finding the pleasure in every moment and then finding myself in this environment where all of my defense mechanisms want to just shut down my sexuality. I feel so you know, uncomfortable and unwelcomed. It feels unwelcomed in this space. And I'm noticing my inclination, not just to, to shut down my own sexuality there, but also to pretend that my parents don't have any sexuality, <laughs> you know, how we kind of get queasy when we think about our parents being sexual. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that, that that inclination is still there for me. And so what I've done with that is consciously tried to take steps forward into that and almost taking a different perspective. Like if we think about the souls of, of me and my parents, we're playing a much larger game than me being their child and them having raised me to be this 36 year old human on this planet earth. We're playing a game of, of eternity, I believe. And for, for whatever reason, our souls are um, having coffee together, you know, and, and making these plans to have this experience. And so I've tried to look at it from that perspective, more like, equals in this game and of course they have sex and of course they're being intimate and I get to be my full sexual self while they're being their full sexual selves and it doesn't have to be something that gets swept under the carpet or something that I feel a contraction because that's what tipped me off to this whole thing it was their 40th wedding anniversary and I suddenly realized maybe they want the house to themselves <laughs> maybe I should go away for a couple of days and then I thought about having this conversation with my dad and uh, I realized I felt a contraction. And anytime I feel a contraction, to me, that's a, a loudspeaker saying, you need to investigate this. So I started looking into it and realizing that there was still a separation for me. Like Tantra for me is, is everything is holy and there's nothing in this experience that that isn't sacred and there's no experience that we as humans have that can't be an experience of worship mm -hmm. so if i'm feeling that contraction then i'm missing out on an opportunity to worship or to see something as sacred and so i really started to kind of massage my brain in terms of how i think about this and and it's beautiful how we can 
keep our truths on different levels intact at the same time. So this is going to get into some maybe weird territory for some people. It feels like the conversation's naturally going there. So I just want to check in um, if this is still uh, feeling in the right direction for you, Roger. It does. You know, there's no, I have no direction for the podcast. It just flows and goes where it's supposed to. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to back up and look at a completely different example here, uh, which is us as humans, we have our spiritual self and we have our, our animal self. We're really this hybrid between animals and gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's one way you can look at it uh, to say that. And so we have all of these biological drives and the, the male biological drive is to propagate the lineage, right? So essentially spread your seed as, as many places as you want. And the female biological drive is to secure the conditions for the safe upbringing of your offspring. And so we're walking around and we've got these drives which make us attracted to people we sometimes don't want to be attracted to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as a man, you may find yourself being attracted to women much younger than you. And it can be a really scary thing because we're not primates running around in the jungle. We're humans. We have a society. We have family structure. We have integrity. We have all these things going on. So I've talked to men who have had anxiety around this, panic around this, guilt around being attracted to a younger woman. Sometimes maybe even a a woman who's underage, right? And that's a really scary thing. Until we remind ourselves that we also have this this cerebral functioning. We have our, our God side. And so we're walking around and we're operating on two levels at all times. So, you know, if I'm a, a man, I might feel that animal attraction to a young woman, but I'm also this high cerebral cortex functioning person who can say, okay, that biology is still there in me. And I am an evolved being who's chosen this life, who's chosen to incarnate in a world where we have family structure and we have societal structure and where it would be very psychologically damaging for that relationship to ensue. Plus I have no desire because I'm actually looking for something that involves a spiritual connection and uh, an emotional connection and a psychological connection as well. And so, The beauty of it is both of those circuits can run at the same time. So it's not that we have to shut off our biology because we're afraid of it. It's just that we're aware that we are these higher functioning beings. We're we're walking most of the time in our our God selves or our highly evolved selves. And we're making our choices from there. But it's almost like we have this, this other circuit running and it's allowed to run and it's allowed to generate energy and we don't have to act on it. So the, the whole point of the story that I want to make is we're unique in that we exist on multiple levels at once. Mm-hmm. And it can be really scary if we don't realize that. Because if I don't realize I'm running on multiple levels at once and I feel an urge that goes against society or the law, (laughs) Mm -hmm. then I think I'm broken. I think I'm evil in some way. 
But as long as I'm aware, oh, that's just that circuit. That's just my animal circuit. Oh, that's cute. I'll just mm-hmm. let that circuit run. Where I'm really spending my time now is on this circuit. Yeah. You know, so I walked into a local store and I was doing some shopping and some browsing. And as I turned the corner to walk down an aisle, this younger woman in her probably early to mid-twenties approached me in just a random conversation. And I felt quite awkward. I felt, uh, um, yeah, the energy felt sexual. But um, I definitely didn't... uh, bite into it I I what I bit into was the awkwardness and uh, quite uh, abruptly ended the conversation and moved on my way yeah and yeah and then I walk away from that I'm thinking why did I deny that why did I, you know why was there shame involved with interacting with somebody that much younger than me mm. yeah And what if you could notice that spark of energy and pick it up with your hands and take it to the place where it serves you to be the man that you want to be in the world, Mm -hmm. to show up in the divine masculine, to create community, to be that protector for young people? Like, What if that could be used as a resource? Mm -hmm. Well, and and the other thing is like, why why do we automatically turn that sexual mm. you know that that connection it doesn't have to be sexual it can be just what it is it can be just the beautiful energy that it is mhm mhm yeah it it often starts sexual because that biological drive it's quick it's quick to engage <laughs> so it engages right away but our sexual energy is the core of our energy body it's our seed energy and it's like the it's like the ingredient that everything else is made from so maybe it does start in a sexual way but that's just the source the raw energy that you get to form and mold into whatever energy you want so to think that anytime we feel a sexual impulse or a sexual urge we have two choices, either pursue a physical sexual act or shut it down is a really limited way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. We've really pigeonholed sexual energy in this society. Like Mm -hmm. it's got one use and it's in the bedroom when really that's our fuel for everything we do in life. Mm -hmm. If we shut down our sexual energy, we're shutting down our ability to do public speaking shutting down our ability to parent excellently, shutting down our ability to be an inspiring leader. And there we are. (laughs) There we are. (laughs) Okay. I have something I'd love to share with you. Uh, I'm going to do a a broadcast on this specifically in, in the coming week, but I had a dentist appointment the other day. It was the first one in five years. And I'm pretty highly sensitive. And so to have someone digging around in my mouth creates a lot of anxiety for me. 
I had some cavities that needed to be filled and there's all these machines and noises and I was quite nervous. And then I sat down and they told me this is going to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so my nerves are spiked even higher. And as I'm sitting in my chair, the question I always ask myself is how can Tantra help me here? And so I decided to start tapping into this resource that I talk about, uh, about our sexual energy. And I engaged my sexual energy, um, got it running as much as I could, and then just started circulating that through the body, almost like a microcosmic orbit, and then sending it to the places where they were doing the work. So what happened with that was I felt instant empowerment, like instant resilience. Like instantly, I could withstand much more than I could have 30 seconds before. And as it progressed, the, the feelings that happened were transmuted to almost a pleasurable feeling. Like this wasn't an extreme pain. I think this would be an even more advanced practice that's possible with extreme pain. But in this case, it wasn't, it was, it was mild pain. But when the, the area was flooded with sexual energy, it was like, you know, when you're having sex and, and you're so aroused and then someone pinches you or bites you and, and it increases your pleasure, it spikes your pleasure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you hadn't been having sex or, or aroused and that same bite came, it might hurt. But yeah. when you're aroused, it turns into pleasure. It's boundary between pleasure and pain is is marred or the spectrum more accurately the spectrum of pleasure and pain is seen as a spectrum not as two distinct entities mm -hmm. and so i'm sitting here in my dentist chair and i'm wondering how far should i let this go <laughs> because i may cause a scene at some point <laughs> <laughs> so i'm just kind of moderating it but i thought it was so fascinating that even the dentist can be turned into a pleasurable experience by, by tapping into your sexual energy and how it's even a type of anesthetic in a way, a replacement for anesthetic. <laughs> your poor dentist has <laughs> probably spent the last few weeks thinking about you. <laughs> Hold on, I was not pretty, that that's bad. Was pretty low key, pretty mm. low key. But I'm not gonna lie, I had the thought, what if there is one day a society where it's completely okay to go to the dentist and touch yourself because they know it's going to help the experience for you. <laughs> like, what if we lived in a society where it was like, okay, you know, here's some, uh, <laughs> here's a nice uh, tea and some really soft blankets. Now you get really comfortable. <laughs> We're going to start the procedure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an interesting conversation for sure. <laughs> I've always, I've always uh, tried the avoidant technique where I think about, and I wonder if it plays into this because if you're tuning up your sexual energy, your your concentration isn't in your mouth; it is, you know, in your sexual energy regions, and so there might be something said there because I know, like I will, if I got pain in my mouth when I go there, I'll really concentrate on my foot mm. and the energy in my foot or something, so. And then, then the pain in my mouth is quite a bit. It's dulled, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there 
they're different strategies that you can pursue. Yeah. I'm always looking for the most integrative strategy that I can find. And I truly believe that pleasure and pain are on a spectrum mm -hmm. and that the practice of Tantra is to experience further on both sides of the spectrum and experience the divinity in, in both of those. So, you know, I've, I've played with this a lot in the emotional realm. Heartbreak has been probably the strongest catalyst towards my heart opening, like my heart chakra access has come primarily from heartbreak and going fully, fully into that pain until I find sweetness on the other end. And so to me, that's possible on the physical realm as well. And I'm very attracted to the idea of, of going so deeply into the pain that I reach pleasure. And, and there were moments of that. Um, the other practice that I like to do at the dentist is feeling the feelings as vibration. So stripping off the meaning, um, a man is drilling in my face <laughs> and, and going to the source, the raw vibration of energy. Mm -hmm. And there's something there when it's just the raw vibration of energy, it can actually be pleasurable. Another great example is construction sounds. Now, construction sounds are the most one of the most abrasive sounds that we want to shut out. But if we strip off the meaning and just feel the raw vibrations, they can be really erotic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I haven't experienced that yet. <laughs> but some of the interesting things I do is when I'm in full sexual energy, um, when, when I was at Kundalini Yoga, and I, I kind of associate sexual energy and Kundalini energy is very similar. Um, you know, in the end, I was in a really deep meditative state, my sexual energy really high. And they passed around these really bitter oranges, those little tiny ones. And the thought come to me, what if I just eat the orange without peeling it? You know, in this state, what would it be like? So I did. I took a really slow bite. And honestly, it was absolutely amazing. <laughs> you know, that, that bitterness turned into pleasure. It was just, yeah, it was. And I, am, and I look forward to the next time. What else can I um, try that normally I don't like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. This is the practice. And there's no end. Mm -hmm. There's no end to how many hard or uncomfortable situations can be turned into bliss. Mm -hmm. That's that's the true definition of bliss. It's not only joyful things happen to me. It's I find joy in all things, good or bad. Yeah. So what do you think the definition of Tantra is? <laughs> I love this question because my really innocent natural impulse is everything. The definition of Tantra is everything. Mm -hmm. I know that's not a um, helpful definition for people. So I try to peel that back and, and zoom out a little bit. One of my favorite definitions of the word Tantra is simply approaching every single moment, situation, or emotion as sacred and being in the state of worship 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. There's so many ways that we can answer the question. I mean, maybe that's my experience of Tantra, but 
you know, where did Tantra begin? What kind of practices are included in it? What's the aim of Tantra? I can answer the question, you know, 80 different ways, but the, the essence for me is Tantra is a belief system in, in which everything is an act of worship. Everything that you do, whether that's making love with your partner or being stuck in a traffic jam or picking up your dog's poop, but any of those activities are an act of worship. Mm -hmm. Oh, the day when, when you're feeling just so blissful and amazing and you're picking up poop. <laughs> <laughs> then you're really a tantric practitioner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd love to hear your definition, Raj. Oh, what my. Is tantra? Oh, my. You're right. That is it's such a difficult question because even, I mean, since the, the, my first experience with hearing the word Tantra, to today, I have probably 4,000 different answers for what Tantra is. But today, my answer would be that Tantra is a path of awareness that helps me find the path back to my divine self. Mm. And in that path, how to experience life, no matter what is happening in life in grace, in love, and in bliss. Beautiful. I yeah. love that. Well, I was yeah. thinking about an answer when you were talking. That was kind of rude to me. <laughs> <laughs> I resonate with you. It changes by the day, the definition. Mm -hmm. um, it's such a beautiful, multifaceted prism that we can we can look at any facet and go so deep into that facet and then choose another facet and go so deep into that facet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is, you know, I, I think I'm blessed to ex have experienced Tantra in my life. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. Yeah. So what else, what, what, uh, every, everybody always, has some big transformation happening for them. What's your struggle right now? What's your big struggle? I think for me, I'm really exploring finding the quietude and that depth of moment that's so easy to get to when I'm alone or with someone who I'm in deep resonance with, but finding that unconditionally, like right now, finding that with my family mm -hmm. or finding that when I'm in a place that's not feeling resonant with me, how can I find that same depth to my core, my divine core when I'm in Costco or, you know, when I'm at the gentleman's club, did a little experiment the other day. <laughs> I went to the strippers or the gentleman's club more accurately and, you know, finding the divine there um, and, and peace. Because for me, finding the divine is one thing, being able to, to notice, okay, the divine is just in its 
phase of concealment here with this guy who's swearing at me and thinks I cut him off in traffic. I, okay. There's five phases of the divine that is always flowing through. And, and right now this guy is clearly in the phase of concealment <laughs> of the divine. So he's really concealing that. And mm-hmm. I can see that to sit and have coffee with this same guy or be trapped in a situation where I, I, I have to, maybe I'm in his world and there's just uh, mess everywhere and TVs blaring and kids screaming. How can I find my quietude and my bliss in that moment? Mm-hmm. And that's my edge right now because I typically like to spend a lot of time alone. I really, really value the, the sweetness of that. So my edge is how can I find that in these other situations? Mm-hmm. That, that's a beautiful edge to be in. And yeah, I don't even know what to say about that. I have nothing to say about that. There is nothing to say on that edge. This is being in that grace of the divine in everything. It's and experiencing the divine in everything. Even experiencing the divine in that person that's given you the finger. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you for myself, I don't I don't know if this will apply to other people, but it helps me a lot to oscillate back and forth. So kind of ground myself in my space. If I have a week or something on my own and then go for a couple of weeks and be completely in it, like in the flow of other people's lives where it's not a temple garden spa like my home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and do that and then have a break to go back into my own space is really serving me at this point because I'm yeah, you know, I'm, I'm human and there comes a point where my reservoirs get empty and I really start to need a little break, just a little recharge of the batteries. So I've pushed myself sometimes too far in this exploration. And uh, I think it's important that it's treated as a practice, right? It's not like you're going to be an expert at this at first. So self-care doing what you need to recharge your batteries and then going for another try. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and everybody's batteries get charged differently. Some people's batteries get charged by being in that crazy Mm -hmm. wild space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I I identify as an introvert. So for me, if I really need to to charge myself up, I go out into nature, I meditate, um, I do something where I can just go deeply into myself. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to ask you this, but what uh, what does it mean to be in self? What does it mean to be in that space? I mean, I I I'm I get there, but what does it mean to people who really might not know what it is? I feel like there's this treasure that lies inside of all of us, and it's walled up pretty well, and any resistances that I feel are a wall. And for me, the way that I've gotten through those walls is facing any emotion that came up. And when I feel a tough emotion, if I distract myself, if I go get something to eat or put on a show, that wall stays there and I'm separated from my my deep core. But if I resolve myself to fully face that emotion and be fully present with it, 
even just sit down and say, okay, I'm going to sit down for one minute and be with this emotion, whatever it is. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's fear. Just going to sit for one minute and be with shame. And that wall separating me from my deepest core, I like to call it our delicious core, because when you get there, it's so sweet, Mm -hmm. so juicy and delicious. That's going to dissolve one more wall. And so every time I choose acceptance and opening to my experience instead of resisting or escaping, one of those walls goes down. And eventually there's this easy access point where it's, it's like I'm in the inner chamber. And, and even if I leave the inner chamber, all I have to do is reach for the doorknob and open it, and I can go back there. But even for myself, I notice that if things come up and I do feel resistant, and I do it you know, a few times in a row, I feel further away from myself. I feel further away from that delicious core. So it's a really courageous practice of allowing all of the emotions, all of the thoughts that come up, because those are coming from you, those thoughts that come up. And so if you deny them or repress them, you're denying yourself and putting up one more wall to separate you from that treasure. Mm -hmm. And that goes right back to my story about denying, denying ourselves our truth and and how can we flow in and be authentic with the people we're, you know, working with, talking to, loving? How can we be authentic if we're denying our truth? Mm-hmm. You can be authentic at a very superficial level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that deep authenticity, that's the kind that I think you're talking about. Yeah, the wholeness, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... I want to ask you about, um, do you ever separate your wholeness? Do you ever move into a space of safety where you communicate from, yeah, when you, where you communicate from a stage of safetyness versus a stage of complete uh, transparency? I love this question because I think about it, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we touched on it already today. One of my biggest goals in life is authenticity. And I've explored this word a lot. And I came across a definition one day. Authenticity is not blurting out everything that's on your mind necessarily. It's transmitting the essence of who you are in the moment. And I thought that was interesting because Parts of my life, I've swung the pendulum all the way to the side of full disclosure, too much information, oversharing in my quest for authenticity. And feels like I'm on a, a bit of a refinement to find that place where I'm not necessarily oversharing or blurting everything, but I am being 100% me in that moment. I'm exactly transmitting where I am right now. So if you sit me down with my best friend and we're having a conversation and you put me on stage in front of a hundred people, 
I'm likely to show up differently in those two places. And the, the recipe for that is likely one part fear, one part prudence, <laughs> one part efficacy, one part talking to my audience. There's a whole concoction that goes on there. And it's really easy to, it's really easy to rationalize reasons not to be authentic. And so it takes a lot of lucidity in that moment. Um, but one thing that I find, you know, personally is if I'm in the throes of a situation, like really something's really raw and really gritty and really crunchy for me, I'm going to share that, but I'm likely going to wait to share it on a public forum until I've seen the other side, until I can bring something of value to my students or my audience or whoever it is, because there's a, a balance, a dance as a facilitator that has to be done where you're honoring the fact that the space is service. So I'm there in a space of service when I'm in front of a, a group of people. Um, and I've at times wanted to be completely authentic in my quest and, and go into a group of students and be like, I'm sorry, I can't teach today. <laughs> I am feeling so disempowered and this thing is happening with my partner and I can't, and knowing that they would support me and they would lift me up and everything would, would feel so good. But personally, my choice is to be in service. If that's what I've committed to do, then I'm going to keep that relationship and preserve it because I know what it's felt like for me when I've been in circle and the roles have switched and suddenly I'm there in service of the person I thought was going to hold me. And for me personally, I want to preserve that experience for the people who, who come to my courses or come to my events. And there's a way that I've, I've found where I can be authentic and say, things are crunchy right now. <laughs> or you know, one of the metaphors that I work with a lot is these threads in the tapestry of life and how some of them are, are beautiful and some of them are, are really hideous when we look at them up close and how there's threads of a new promotion at work or a new relationship and there are these beautiful golds and blues and just want to admire them and want all the threads in the tapestry to be this color. And then there's these threads of, of a breakup or a, an injury and they have this pukey green color. And I just want to take a pair of scissors and chop those threads out of the tapestry. But that's when I'm looking at it from six inches in front of my face. Mm -hmm. I can take what I call God perspective and zoom out and see that tapestry as a whole. I can see that those pukey green threads are contributing to that final magnificence. And without them, the pattern would be incomplete. There would be gaping holes. It would be ugly. And so how even those threads are necessary for the magnificence. And so when I'm in, the, in that place uh, and I'm teaching a class, I'll say something like, yeah, there's <laughs> pukey green threads today. <laughs> so I'm being authentic, but I'm also holding the space. So I'm not going to go into the details of 
how I'm feeling, you know, completely disempowered or hopeless or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. because that's still something I'm working out. Yeah, yeah. You know, in a class, it would probably make sense to, like if you were teaching a class on empowerment and loss of empowerment, it might make sense to tell a story of how you have experienced loss of empowerment, but not to walk into a class and say, today I'm feeling completely disempowered and, you know, I'm not really up to being the leader that you need me to be today. Yeah, that's not yeah. that's not fair. And that's it's not fair. And those stories are so valuable yeah. once you've made it through the other side, which you will. Exactly. <laughs> but it's not helpful to share. Right now I I'm completely disempowered and I'm hopeless and I can't teach this class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah and then there's sometimes so there's, there's stories that sometimes sharing publicly help, you know, especially if they're creating um you know a blanket from from our ability to be vulnerable you know mm-hmm. but if they're creating this bullshit safety scenario that keeps us stuck in some sort of loop maybe it's good to share but yeah i, I think there's a full spectrum of places and events for yeah. that and it takes a lot of lucidity and discrimination to know Mm-hmm. And, and to see through your own shadows, see through my own shadows mm-hmm. and, and realize, okay, I'm not sharing right now because I do want to keep that comfortable safety blanket. Or I'm not sharing right now because it doesn't serve the highest good to share right now. Mm-hmm. Very, it's a razor's edge between those two. So what you're saying is you're not very selfish. How do you read that? Well... <laughs> That's a good question. How do I read that? I read that because I truly believe that in some drama, there's the opportunity to move beyond something that's limiting our experience. And events that are happening to us that sometimes seem harsh or difficult to move through they're not always about sharing them but they're about exploring them in their fullness and if that fullness means uh, moving into a group that is part of that exploration to help one undo an old thread an old story an old belief system that's limiting that person I think the selfish thing to do is to allow the unraveling of that for the betterment of everyone in the group. The selfish thing to do is to unravel it. And then I hear you say for the betterment of everyone in the group. Yeah, because I believe we're all on the path of, of a, a global consciousness um, shift, enlightenment. So sometimes your unravelment can trigger somebody else's um, awareness of something they're doing. So to me, when I hear that, that sounds like an unselfish act. If I know it's for the betterment of the group and I do it, then that's not a selfish act. No, but you might not know it's for the betterment of the group. You might be selfish in the act to begin with. Uh Aha, okay. I hear what you're saying now. Yeah, so you're, I kind of hear you, and it sounds like that acknowledging the trust 
of the flow and the universe and, and everything happening for a reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a more feminine approach to the situation. Yeah. Like, masculine approach would be, okay, here's the structure that we've agreed to. And so I'm going to honor my role within this structure. I say fuck structure. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't believe in structure. I believe in divine flow. I believe in, I believe that the universe is always giving us little bits to help us move up our ladder towards grace. I believe in a perfect union between flow and structure. <laughs> Interesting. Flow and structure. Uh, this is something I'm going to have to uh, contemplate. <laughs> yeah, to me, it's the divine masculine and the divine feminine, and they both need to be there. Yeah. If we had no structure, we would have no definition. We would have no unique identities and we would not be able to be mirrors for each other. We would not be able to experience each other without any structure. Without any flow, we would be rigid walking robots without emotion or spontaneity. Um, it's the perfect balance of those two that gives us the, the fullness of our human experience. How can we create structure and have a spontaneous existence? That is the question. And, and that's that's called mastery when you can do that <laughs> and it's about for me personally it's about honoring both of them because mm -hmm. most people that i've encountered tend to focus more on one side than the other so either you're very structured and there's no room for spontaneity mm -hmm. spontaneity or you're so spontaneous that there's no structure and neither of those is a beneficial place to be yeah. So creating structure within which to flow is a really beautiful way to approach that. So, for example, I may decide in my day that it's really important that I have a couple hours where I don't have to do anything. Like I can just be and I can follow any impulse that I have. And so when I'm planning my week, I can I can. Um, pencil that in my calendar and block that time off. Say from two to four on Sunday, I'm flowing. And that time then is is sacred and it's protected for flow and nothing can impede it. I'm not making any appointments during that time. I'm not going to have any responsibilities during that time. And what preserves that as flow time is the structure. So the structure is creating the conditions for the flow so those they can work together like that hmm sounds very complicated <laughs> it sounds like uh it can be con it can be really simple yeah it sounds like conscious spontaneity <laughs> yes that's a great way to say it yeah. conscious spontaneity because what would happen if we were only spontaneous well what I think would happen is our divine essence would flow completely wide open and we would really get to know who we are at the core. And once that crazy wildness stopped flowing and settled down, we would move into a space of not structure, but a space of just purely flowing from our divine inspiration. 
And so when you're running a company with a hundred employees and 3000 clients with complicated projects, does everyone just spontaneously decide to work on the piece of the project that needs to happen at that moment for the final project to be delivered to arrive at that meeting at the time that the client needs them? Well, here's what I kind of believe. I kind of believe that um, if if people were in their divine flow, if they were already there when they moved into this company, it would be a different, way different company. Um, but for this whole place of a hundred and whatever people to one day just snap their fingers and move into this spontaneous flow of divine essence would probably create a whole bunch of chaos only because they have so much uh, struggle and limiting belief systems and all this stuff that's these tensions and and all these things that they need to work through to clean up the body to clean up the 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 uh, the pathway that our divine essence flows. So we have all these this junky old road that we've put all these barricades on, and we got to clean up those barricades so we can just flow. And once that flow starts happening, and then I believe companies will flow differently. So let's imagine that that it all got cleaned out, yeah. all the barricades were were dissolved. And then this company comes together. Mm -hmm. Let's just let's play with this a little. This is interesting. Yeah. So so how does it work? What's the the glue that holds it all together? So I can say that um, I actually played with this a little bit with the last company I worked with. I was in sales, and traditional way of getting sales is to uh, you have a target, which is set up on the wall. You know, and what my role would traditionally be was grab a phone book or something and start phoning everybody that might want the, our product, you know, try and fill orders and try and push them on new product. So I thought, what is it going to be like if I just flow in with intuitive process? How will my sales numbers change? So I walked, I go to work, um, I sit down on my desk and I'm not going to phone anybody that would 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 be in within a structure. A daily, like I have a list, a daily task list of things I'm supposed to do based on how the company sees my position. I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to flow with my divine essence and see what happens. Now, the universe knows that to keep all these people fed and employed, this company needs X number of dollars and it needs a continued growth. So the universe knows the easiest way, the easiest path to bring in this, to generate this revenue. So what do I do? I just sit down in my chair, relax, tune in, and I feel, oh, I need to go to the internet. So I go to the internet, surf around, and you know, you get a couple of companies and all of a sudden I'm on this website. Web, you know, the name when I was in Google really stood out to me. It had this... Um, kind of a sparkle to it, an energetic sparkle. So I phone this guy up, and he, we start talking, and he goes, wow, you phoned me absolutely at the best possible time. And from just from that spark, 
I created a relationship with him and I didn't have to force the relationship. It naturally occurred and it turned out to be one of our largest clients in the end. And I just started doing that and it was effort free. Wow, Roger, I love that story. Yeah. Is so, there more? Well, there there's more, but I don't know if it really pertains, but <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but but I love I love hearing that because I think it's so far from the typical status quo, the way we do things, because we're very much in our masculine typically right now, especially in the business world. So for people to hear that and that it's possible is really amazing and inspiring. And I also loved how listening to you, there were three pieces, especially that I heard, which are this structure within your flow for me when I hear them. Because mm-hmm. I first heard you say, I went to work <laughs> and I sat in my chair. <laughs> yeah. So that's your structure already. Mm-hmm. You chose a company. I work for this company and I went to work. And I sat in my chair. So if, if you were completely in flow, if there was no structure at all, you can imagine going to a company who was closer to your house. Well, this one's flow, I'm flowing. Like so there's a lot of traffic on the way to my work. So I'm going to go to this work today. Mm-hmm. You know, that's an example of no structure. Mm-hmm. And then the piece around all the people in this company need to be fed. Similar, like you've created a structure. These are the people that work for us. We chose this person, not that person, to work for us. Mm-hmm. And we were intentional about that. And we created a structure which inherently excludes some people. And that's another definition of structure. I mean, when we're fully in our flow, there's no exclusion at all. There's only inclusion. There's no criteria required. And so to me, you're living that perfect example of structure and flow in the example that you spoke of. And so maybe it's a matter of redefining, you know, what structure is and zooming out to see, because that's a very uh, flow oriented way to work, but it still has some elements of structure. Yeah, unfortunately, and uh, I, I didn't, I didn't like that part of the structure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know where my mind goes when I hear this is like this place where we're all so intuitively dialed in. We're so telepathic. We're so connected that we're, we're, we're moving in this orchestra and each person moves exactly where they need and there's no separation. And I think we have that place. Um, I think that's where we came from and where we're going. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a place of non-duality. Exactly. For me, on this earth, we're playing with polarity and duality to the game that I'm different from you and you're different from me is is our game that we get to play. Mm -hmm. And we've got plenty of time to play the game where is this Roger's hand or my hand? It makes no difference. And this is a unique game here of differences and choice and limitation and there's a reason for that i mean if there's no difference between me and you when i look at you uh, i don't see anything differently than if i look to the guy next to you 
Um, and I can't experience myself because there is only myself. <laughs> There's nothing outside myself to experience. It's kind of like I've had you know, periods where I was meditating a lot and spending a lot of time alone and thinking, I'm really getting somewhere. I think I've cleared a lot of my samskaras and I'm really I don't have many triggers left. <laughs> <laughs> and then you put me in public in front of a person. And suddenly I'm bent out of shape about this and they're, you know, um, challenging me on that. And I can't believe they said that. And I needed that mirror in front of me to really see who I was. To realize that there's still some judgment. Yeah. To recognize that. Or um, another time I've experienced it is where someone reflects a beautiful quality. Mm -hmm. It says, you know, wow, you really have great leadership skills or you're really a great speaker. I'm like, oh, really? I didn't know that. And it takes that other reflecting off of you to give you that self-knowledge. So that's mm -hmm. one of my favorite things about duality and the otherness is it gives us this full experience of ourselves that we couldn't have when we were all one big glob of consciousness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the technical term is glob. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I think where we're going is... Oh, as a society is absolutely amazing. However, I believe there's some hugely, hugely messy um, undoingness that is going to happen on the way. And some messiness, not really undoingness, but um, getting to know who we are. I mean, sometimes we, people, you know, I talk to people and they've been so stuck in their shell for so many years that in this safe sh shell that they don't know who they are anymore. And once I crack open that shell for them, you know, they're like, they're like shaking and some anxiety happens because they, they see how they've spent their whole life creating this illusion, this identity that has taken them to this one point. And when they move from this point of, of realizing how the identity has kept them safe and that's not who they really are, Sometimes some wildness happens, <laughs> some super elaborate, spontaneous events take place and help that help these people really dive into their passions, their their true identity, their truth. And sometimes those places look absolutely ridiculous, scary um, and we can really be judged from that point of jumping off. Mm -hmm. Jumping into chaos. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think we're heading a little bit towards chaos, or at least individually, a lot of people. I see a lot of people heading, jumping into chaos, but coming out the other side in, in experiencing radiant beauty like, like you are. Well, I go through this layer cake of chaos and order all the time. Yeah. Um, that's just the mechanism. That's how this is built, this duality. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you take a, I think it was Alan Watts gave this example. When you look at a tapestry and you see the design and it's so perfect, that's order. But if you take a, a microscope and, and then you look at the threads in the tapestry, they're crossing each other and they're going in different directions and it looks very chaotic. Mm -hmm. And 
then you take that microscope and you zoom in one layer further and, and you see order again. And it's like this layer cake that depending mm -hmm. on your perspective, you just zoom out a little bit, you see order. You zoom out a little bit more, you see chaos. You zoom out a little bit more, you see order. And you can look at our world like that. Mm -hmm. There's a way you can look at it where it's fucking disaster, pure chaos. But then you can zoom out one layer and look at you know, the, the archetypes playing themselves out. You can look at the cycles of time, you know, we're in Kali Yuga right now, this like kind of this layer, it's supposed to be a layer of, of chaos. Um, and you can adjust your microscope to be at whatever layer you want. Mm -hmm. And what you see is real. It's just real from your perspective. Mm -hmm. So who are you? I ask myself this <laughs> during certain retreats, <laughs> hundreds <laughs> of times a day. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's a question that never gets old no yeah that's a question really i could dedicate the rest of my life and just sit in a corner and ask that question mm -hmm. <clears throat> that would not be a waste of time i i believe though that you you have given the perfect answer though because if you can say if you can be puzzled and say i don't know as if it's something you've never thought of, then maybe it's something to start thinking about. And <laughs> if you have a very specific answer for who you are, then you're not open to exploring something, div something about your divinity. One of the most, I want to use the word violent, it's coming up. One of the most violent phrases I know is I know. <laughs> yeah. That crashes down possibility like no other phrase. That contracts me like no other phrase. Mm -hmm. So which leaves one question in my mind. What am I going to call this podcast? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but it may be time to contemplate because my computer is out of juice. So I'm going to lose you very soon. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we're at the maximum time frame anyway. So Heidi, I have really enjoyed our conversation. I don't really know what it was about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I want uh, people are going to wonder, I tuned into a, a Tantra talk and I don't hear anything about sex. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That happens a lot. Um, although there was a lot about sex, even though we didn't use the word. You know, what is sex but two seemingly opposite poles coming together? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's a way you could say most of this talk was about sex. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Heidi. Well, this is... So much fun, Roger. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed connecting with you on this level and uh, and just the exploration that your questions put me on. So thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. This podcast is Expansion Cast. Thank you for listening.